God is a God who answers prayers, and we have seen that in this church. This summer was filled with so many amazing things, youth camps, Butler Mission Week, baptisms, child dedications, memberships, Eric Houck. And so it's fitting that we're launching into the fall with a series on prayer. And the idea is not just that we're going to learn about prayer, The idea is that we're going to roll up our sleeves and actually do it, actually grow in our ability to pray. And so to launch the whole series, we're starting today with what I think is foundational prayer, core prayer, really a core skill for anybody who's a follower of Jesus. It's a skill that we're going to return to every couple of years because it's real basic. It's built around a verse in the Bible. In fact, we're going to memorize a whole verse in the Bible today. You excited about that? And this is from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This is what it says. Pray continually. You think you guys can handle that? All right, so we're going to say that out loud together, okay? Pray continually. All right, now take it off the screen. And we're going to try this one from memory. You ready? Pray continually continually. Now, the question is, how do you do that? And that's one of the dangers of the spiritual life, is getting used to the language that we see in the Bible. And then we stop and think, did Paul really mean that? Or is that something that just sounds spiritual? It's actually connected to a real deep truth about God that points to the doctrine of God's omnipresence, that he's always present everywhere. And that means he's right here, right now. And that means it's possible to do life with God. And really, everything hinges on this. And that's why I'm so glad that you're here today. I can do life with God, and that means a life with peace and security and joy and confidence and boldness and wisdom and guidance. Or I could do life without God. You know, God doesn't inflict himself on anybody. And that means life with insecurity and anxiety and isolation and aloneness and temptation and fear. But how do I actually do life with God? Now, this is God's great desire, and he communicates this over and over in the Bible. This is kind of a new thought for the human race, and I'll tell you a story where this really gets established. And there's a man named Jacob And we first learn about him early on in the story of God's people. And God reveals himself to Abraham and then to Isaac. And then there's Jacob. And Jacob is not a nice guy in a lot of ways. You might remember the story. He actually deceives his father, betrays his brother, and cheats to get the family birthright by colluding with his mother. And his brother Esau wants to kill him. So he has to run away from home. But this raises a big question. When he leaves home, will God go with him? Because they lived in the ancient world, in a world where there were a lot of people who believed in God or gods, but there was all these little tribal gods. And so if you left your place, you left those gods. 
And then wherever that new place was, you'd worship that new set of gods. So Jacob's got to leave home. And not a well-behaved guy. And this is how the story starts. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, here's the deal. These names Beersheba and Haran are not just random names. The significance is Jacob is going from home, from Beersheba, to not home, to Haran. And that raises this enormous question, will God go with me? Will God be there? It's kind of like Florida. Most of you know that Amber and I are from Florida, where there are beaches and there are palm trees. It's paradise. So clearly, God is in Florida. <laughs> but then I get a job at the Apprentice Institute, which brought us to Kansas, where there are no beaches and there are no palm trees. And we wonder before leaving, is God in Kansas? Now, obviously, we moved here, and we discovered that God is indeed in Kansas. But he's not happy about it. <laughs> so there's this, there's this big dramatic question for Jacob. He's leaving home, and he's experiencing this crisis. Nobody's thinking about this all-present God. And then here's what happens. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Jacob, or God comes to Jacob in his dreams and basically says, I am with you. It's the first time something like this is stated in the Bible. And there's a stairway. The old King James Version calls it a ladder. Did you notice in the story what Jacob does not do with that ladder? He doesn't climb it. This is not a ladder that Jacob uses to get out of here to go up there. This is a ladder where up there is coming down here. And Jacob sees his vision of angels ascending and descending. Maybe in the ancient world they thought of angels as assigned to territories. Maybe they thought of angels as rotating shifts and they're telling each other, watch out for that guy, he's a slippery one. And then there's this vision of a transcendent, holy God. But he says, I'm the Lord. I'm the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac. And I will go with you. And this is a God with a ladder. And the idea of the story is not that we have to do special things or go to special places in order to be with God. But that God is with us in the ordinary, everyday places of our lives. And so Jacob takes out a stone did everybody get a small stone when you came in? Well, if you would, go ahead and pull that out for just a moment, would you? Now, you've probably been wondering, what's it for? Maybe you thought, you know, if I don't like the sermon, I'll get a chance to express myself. <laughs> and this is going to be a little symbol for what we do after the service. Or maybe sometime later this week. Um, maybe starting tomorrow. Now, all of us together. 
So Jacob sets out that stone and he names that place Bethel. He says, this is the house of God. And that word El is from the Hebrew word Elohim, their word for God. And Beth is the Hebrew word for house. Bethel, house of God. Emmanuel, God with us. Jacob would be renamed Israel, one who struggles or wrestles with God. So this is the house of God. This is the stairway to heaven. Here's the deal. Any place can be Bethel. This place right here can be Bethel. So for the rest of today, I want to talk about how we can make tomorrow an ordinary day that you will spend with God. And this is something for regular people. This is not for mystics or monks or hermits. You don't have to do anything special. Being with God doesn't mainly mean doing things you don't ordinarily do. Mostly it means doing things that you ordinarily do in a different way. And we're all going to do that. Tomorrow, we're going to have an experiment to see how we can make an ordinary day Bethel, stairway to heaven. Up there, coming down here into your life. This is an invitation for you. And I just want to walk through, using some props, how to take the stuff that you got to do anyways and do them with God so that we actually begin to pray continually. So those aren't just words. We're actually rolling up our sleeves and trying to do this. So first of all, there's a pillow. And when you go to bed tonight and you see the pillow, you're going to think about starting the day with God. Now this is a fascinating thing about the Hebrew mindset. Amber actually talked a little bit about this last week. We think of our days as beginning with sunrise. But in the Hebrew world, they actually thought of the day as starting the night before. And this is from Genesis 1. You can look up on the screen. Verse 13 says, And there was evening, and there was morning. So notice, the day doesn't begin with morning. It begins with evening. If you go through that first chapter of Genesis, that's a consistent theme. Evening, morning, first day. Why does the day start with evening? Well, it's a reminder that while you sleep, God's running the world. God does not sleep. And God gets along just fine without us. Real quickly, turn to the person next to you and say, the world will do okay without you. Just real quickly, turn to the person and say that. So the, so the idea is, your day with God begins this evening. And when you see the pillow, you say, God, thank you. Thanks that I'm alive this day. And then just let go. All the burdens, all the worries, all the pressures, all the unanswered questions, all the outcomes of your life were not meant to, for you to carry around on your shoulders. Let them go. Maybe that means as you're laying in bed at night, you just let your palms open up and then just let go. And they'll eventually come back. So just let them go again. This becomes something we do. There's this fabulous statement from the scriptures. It says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Why? 
for the Lord will be at your side. I will be with you. Again, nothing heroic about this. You got to go to bed tonight anyhow. So tonight, we just do this one night at a time. So just for tonight, go to sleep in Jesus' name with God. And the next thing that will happen is in the morning, you will wake up. Now, for some of you, this will be a God-breathed moment because waking up is the highlight of your day. And for some of you, waking up is not the highlight of your day. You know, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who, people who love to get up in the morning and people who hate people who love to get up in the morning. <laughs> so as a symbol for this, take that little stone Put it on your nightstand tonight so you'll see it. And this stone is meant to symbolize an alarm clock. And here's the problem. We call that an alarm clock. That's really a bad name for it. What does that say to you? Bad news, be afraid, bad things are coming because it's an alarm clock. So just for tomorrow morning, call it a resurrection clock or an embrace the day clock. And then when you wake up, Wake up with these words. This is from Psalm 118. It says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's just say that out loud together one time, okay? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, and the psalmist doesn't say, Yesterday was the day that God made. That was a good day. I was glad back then. And the psalmist doesn't say, tomorrow is the day that God will make, and when my circumstances work out right, then I'll be glad. No. This day, right here, this ordinary day is not an ordinary day because it is a God-made, God-redeemed day. And in that moment, I can say, God, because you are with me, because this is your day, because it's Bethel, because it's Emmanuel, I will rejoice. I will be glad because... It's this day. And you know, sometimes we've got to fight for that. We've got to claw for that. And that'll happen. That's all right. And when I begin the day, I just name it. And then I invite Jesus to go with me through the day. It might be helpful to think, you know, I have this meeting, this task, this appointment, this test, these issues. Jesus, would you just go with me? And then after you wake up, what's the next thing you're going to do? Well, you probably clean yourself up, right? If you don't, tomorrow's a great day to start. <laughs> because when you go to bed at night, it's kind of an odd thing. And you're just sleeping, but bad things happen to your body and your breath. You ever notice that? Other people have noticed that. In a similar way, spiritually, things happen in my mind and in my will, and I need cleansing. Not just for my body, but for my spirit. While you're brushing your teeth and washing your face, exfoliating whatever you exfoliate, invite the spirit to be cleansing your soul. More fabulous words from the psalmist says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And I'm telling you, start the day being cleansed by God. Having those anxious thoughts, oh man, I got to carry around the burden of this day on my shoulders. Having those offensive ways, uh, my mouth is so ready to deceive or self-promote. God, I would love it if you would just cleanse my soul. Would you do that? And then he's right there. I mean, you got to clean up anyhow. So tomorrow, just for one day, we'll cleanse our bodies and we'll cleanse our souls in Jesus' name. All right. The next symbol is the cell phone. And this stands for relationships. Because you're going to see people tomorrow. Maybe this will be your kids or your spouse or a friend at school or a coworker. And that first greeting of the day can be such an important spirit setter, you know? Well, how do you do that? Well, tomorrow, greet people in Jesus' name. Now, that doesn't mean you have to get all spiritual and use God bless you language. In fact, this is from the writer of Proverbs. He says, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Isn't that great wisdom? That's actually in the Bible. So be careful who you bless loudly in the morning because it may not go well. Just when you look at this person, ask, God, would you help me to see what you would see? Just take a moment and recognize that you are present with someone you love. And then literally, when your phone rings tomorrow, just answer the phone in Jesus' name. And I get it. This is tougher than it sounds. You may have a needy friend or a crazy relative or a pesky coworker, And it's hard to bless them sometimes. And you may get called by a telemarketer. And when that happens, we can get impatient or rude or just downright nasty. So instead, when the phone rings, just pause and ask God, God, would you help my attitude to be different with people? You got to answer the phone anyhow. And you got to be with people anyhow. So tomorrow, just for one ordinary day, do it with Jesus. And then there's a set of car keys. What would it look like if you were to drive in Jesus' name? If Jesus were in the car with you when you were driving, what would the expression on his face look like? <laughs> Would he be a little worried? What would your attitude toward, other attitude toward other people be like? Paul says, pray continually. And he means it. So what would it look like to make my car Bethel, the house of God? Maybe it means driving in silence as I'm talking to God. Maybe it means listening to music that I love. You know, I found it really hard to be singing a Christian praise song while cursing the guy next to me in traffic. And something as simple as driving. You know, last year, over a million people died in car accidents. Usually because someone was in a hurry or somebody was mad or somebody was distracted. Maybe driving in Jesus' name means something as simple as starting early enough so I won't be all stressed and uh, rushed as I head to wherever I'm going. And I won't be texting and driving. I actually drive in Jesus' name. Make my car a place where God is with me. 
And then this computer symbolizes work. Now, most of us are going to go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow. And you may be in an office or at a home or in a classroom. But tomorrow, just for one day, don't work on your own. Do it with God. Well, what does that look like? Well, Paul's thought about this one. He writes this to the Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now let's leave that up there for just a moment. Paul says, whatever you do, how comprehensive is this? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. See, if Jesus were actually your supervisor or your school teacher or your sports coach, how would you work differently? Well, I'd show up on time. I'd have a great attitude. I would be diligent and creative. If he was my supervisor or teacher and I get stuck, I would go to him and ask, Jesus, what do you think about this? And I forget to do this so often. But tomorrow, we're going to remember. And you put that little stone on your desk or in your cubicle or in your kitchen. And when you see it, and there's something difficult, maybe an obnoxious coworker or a stubborn classmate or a cranky child, just say, Jesus, help me. And work becomes something I talk about with God because we're doing it together. And I do it with all my heart. And when I'm done, I'm done. And I leave it behind. And I go home. Another symbol. This is a remote control. And there's a good chance that you're going to have some leisure time tomorrow. And the number one leisure activity in America is watching TV. Now, we're not going to do anything heroic tomorrow. We're just ordinary people spending an ordinary day with God. So if you ordinarily watch TV, just watch it with Jesus. And when something comes on, talk to him about it. Maybe you see a news story and it raises a concern. Pray with him about it. Just do what you would normally do, but talk to him about it. God, there's a, a part of our city or a, a part of our state or our country or the world that needs you. Would you help us? Last symbol is a bottle of stain remover. And here's why I've got this one up here. Because when you do this tomorrow, you will mess up. And so will I. And there'll be long stretches where I forget. And I say things I shouldn't say and do things I shouldn't do. And then you'll feel prone to feel defeated. And like you failed. Not tomorrow. For one day, remember that Jesus is the remover of our stains and our guilt. And I don't have to live in defeat. Life is messy. It's okay. Speaking of messes, um, Pastor John Orberg once told a story about a time when he and his wife went out to dinner with another couple. And he made the mistake of ordering barbecue ribs. Here, here's a pro tip on double dating. Never order barbecue ribs. 
Well, when the food arrived, he picked up the first rib and it slipped out of his fingers right onto his lap. And then he picked up the second rib and that slipped out of his fingers, except it landed in his lap and it rolled all the way down his pant leg. True story. So he took the third rib, dipped it in sauce and just dabbed it all over his shirt. <laughs> the only other time they got together, the other couple had the Orpergs over to eat. And inside their dining room, they had spread newspaper out underneath John's chair. <laughs> Here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He never spreads newspaper out underneath your chair. Jesus is perfectly content just to be with us. Wherever Jesus is, there is Bethel. There is Emmanuel, God with us. And on the cross, Paul says, Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her without stain and blemish. And you know, last week we celebrated the sacrament of baptism. And what a joyous occasion it was. Madison, Dawn, and David went public and said, Jesus is my sin forgiver and my stain remover. I'm going to do life with him. And God was present in that moment. And God is present right here. And God will be with you all day on Monday. And on Monday night, when you see that pillow and you go to sleep, just remember, God, thank you that you are with me. And forgive me for when I mess up. And then you invite him to be with you the next day. And we're going to do this. This isn't something that we're just going to talk about. We're actually going to do this. Because here's the deal. If you can learn to spend one ordinary day with Jesus, you can spend every day with Jesus, one day at a time. Let's pray. Oh God, there are times when we feel like we're doing this all by ourselves. We feel alone and overwhelmed. But we're not alone, God. You are caring for us and holding us even when we're not aware of it. So God, thank you that you are here right now. Oh God, how we need you. God, how in our deepest hearts we long for a life with you. Would you lead us all on that adventure, God? Would you make our lives Bethel? And we pray this now together. In Jesus' name, amen.